There you go, mate. Here you go. All right. I got there in the end. I didn't realise. <laughs> I had about four Zencaster browsers open, so I was just clicking anything. <laughs> How are we anyway? You okay? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'm going all right. How, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Exciting times, I think, for me at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, feeling feeling really good, actually. I mean, a bit dark and miserable outside. Never mind that. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a time of brightness in, in the coffee household at the moment. Um, and also, is it Ira or Ira? Yeah, Ira. So, yeah, I should explain. So, um, yeah, nice to meet you, Harry. Uh, my name's Ira, and it's uh, it's actually um, my old man got it out of a Johnny Cash song, okay. uh, the, the Ballad of Ira Hayes. So he, my old man was actually Latvian, but he um, came to Australia, and um, yeah, he liked that song. And you, you know that famous image of the. Um, American five of American soldiers, I think it is like pushing up the flag at Iwo Jima, they, like raising that flag. Yes, like yeah. Well, one of those one of those soldiers was Ira Hayes, and he was an American Indian. Oh wow! And um, yeah, one of those. And what happened was because he raised the flag and he was an Indian. When he got back after the war, the government turned him into like a PR machine kind of thing and shipped him all around the country. But it was totally against his style. Like he just. He didn't like it. He'd been used for that purpose and, you know, kind of got depressed, started drinking alcohol, and I think he, like, died. I think he choked on his vomit or something. Jeez. So, <laughs> yeah, lovely lovely story, but that's the backstory. Yeah, that's how my old man got it. So. It's a cool – I rate it. Yeah. Say, it's, it's a pretty cool backstory, to be fair. I feel like – Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's – it's nice having a name which has a backstory to it and you can explain it. That's quite good. That's mint. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny too because being unusual, like I actually uh, don't mind it to be honest because um, I've never, uh, I've, ne- I've met, only met one other Ira and he was a younger kid. It's more common in America apparently and a lot of people always ask me, oh, is it Jewish for some reason? Is it Jewish? But like, nah, my old man got it from America. But yeah, it is kind of cool. The other thing is, you know, there's only, where you know I'm more my group of friends and all the rest of it. There's only one Ira. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're so, not, yeah, never forgotten, are you? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So anyway, man. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say first of all, thanks for um coming on and my humble little podcast and having a chat to me. No, for being, my pleasure. It's the first time I've ever done any form of podcast, and it's um it's something. Oh, really? I've, yeah, it's something I've wanted to do just on a personal note. So to even do it as a guest and and it, it, I'm, I'm honored and and thank you so much yeah. for reaching out it's a it's an absolute privilege ah, okay well is that would you like a podcast is that because you like talking as well <laughs> a little bit yeah well you know like i wouldn't say I like that's the wrong you can, i think sometimes you can easily get um sort of tainted with that brush of loving the sound of your own voice and all that type of stuff but for me i just you know i i love talking about my passion like, and I love hearing about other people's passions as well. It's sort of my, it's my little thing, you know. If someone's so passionate about something, I might not even be interested. It could be comics for all I care. But like, yeah. listening to someone be so passionate about something is is enthralling, maybe. But it's it's very it's engaging and and you know I'm I like to think I'm incredibly passionate about fishing and, and travel. So it, yeah. I hope that rubs off on other people. I think. But, yeah, yeah, that's interesting because um. Yeah, I've uh, I've copped a bit of shit over my life because of people like when I was a tradie, right? They used to call me Have a Chat <laughs> because I just I just like I just like to talk, you know. But I work and talk. I don't stop working, and I just like talking. I like you know people, uh, interesting people, and like I I kind of now I 
wouldn't say I avoided it, but now I just embrace it, you know. It's like, fuck it, man. Like, who cares? Like, I just like talking to people, you know, especially interesting people. And, um, and, and yeah, yeah, that's where you go. I mean, obviously, I, I, start, I was thinking I started following you probably about a year or so ago. And oh. I think how I came across you was actually, um, you know, uh, George from uh, UK Fishing Adventures. Yeah, from Adventure Fishing UK. Adventure Fishing UK. Sorry. Go yeah. No, no, don't yeah, worry. So Do not worry. I've, I've, I've been following him for quite a while i've actually uh, uh been talking to him about coming on he's he said yes but i think he's busy he's got a young family and all that i remember what that was like but yeah anyway i was watching a few of his and then you popped up and um i think i think you and george and i think fishing with carl is the other only uk one because i'm a passionate angler yeah and um, i actually do it for a job for a big part of my life which we'll get into later but yeah, yeah, so that's how i came across you and i was like oh this guy's quite interesting and i like i really like your style because um you've got this unique kind of like you almost um remind me in some ways of steve Irwin, <laughs> like that <laughs> over animated like oh my god like and that's you can't fake that shit you know what i mean like if people try to put that on it it never looks good and that's what kind of really appealed to me about your channel, you know, it's like, oh, he's a guy he just fucking loves fishing. <laughs> that is something up, right? Like, genuinely, I could be catching like a little minnow, yeah, a little pink net, right? And I will still be going absolutely bananas. I don't yeah. know what it is. And I'm thinking, watching it, I'm thinking, ah, oh, this is going to wear off. He won't be able to keep this up, right? And then I realized, oh, no, like, that's how he is. <laughs> Basically, yeah, I'm just a, I am a ball of energy. And I yeah. think, and I, when I put that into my fishing, it, it comes out because genuinely, like, it, it, I totally agree with you. If you fake it, it's, it's quite obvious and you, and you know yeah. someone's faking that enthusiasm. But genuinely for me, it, it is like, I don't care what I'm doing. I just, I just absolutely love it. And I think if you met any of the people I've worked with throughout my sort of working life, which I'm sure we'll end up getting onto at some point, you know, like yeah. they would say, you are nuts. Like how on earth are you enthusiastic about asset finance? And I'm just mm. like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I just am, all right? I can't help it. <laughs> it's just your personality, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think so. I think so. So it's, uh, well, no, lovely lovely to hear that, that you are. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's pretty infectious, you know. Like, um, yeah, I was like, because a few YouTubers, you watch them for a while and then they drop off. But like you and George as well, like I really like his stuff. And um, the other thing is, which we'll talk about later, but the, all three of us have actually got something in common. And I think, that is something that um, kind of me attracted to you guys. But, yeah, so first of all, I wanted to ask you, have you always been into fishing or is it something you came into later? Or No, it's it's something I've always, always been been doing. So I think my old man had a fishing rod in my hand before I could walk. You know, like yeah. I'm, it's, I feel like a lot of people, they either get into fishing from their granddad, their uncle, their dad, or even their mum yeah. in, in rare cases. And I don't mean that in any sort of misogynistic way whatsoever i think it's it's been quite a, a, a male orientated hobby for a number of years and and i think i am very much in that camp of my dad loved the sport he was just as enthusiastic just as fanatical as i am and yeah. and i just picked it up with him i mean so I, where whereabouts did you grow up so i grew up in the northwest of england um roughly just north of well just east of preston um fishing okay sport sort of more salmon rivers in truth and and spate streams which were pretty alkaline so 
the actual fishing quality wasn't great. So my dad would get us in the car and we'd be going all over the country fishing. And I think it just hmm. got me away, got me away from my, uh, from my mum and my sister. Cause as a kid, I was absolutely hyperactive. So I think, yeah, <laughs> I think oh, he was on to, he was onto it. And plus all that outdoor stuff, man, like there's nothing better for kids that are like that. No, definitely. And you know, I, it's, it's where like my love for it came. And I think, you know, he had such an impact on my life in terms of fishing and, and, and everything in terms of the outdoors. I mean, we'd be sat there pulling up rocks and he'd be telling me everything, every little caddis, every little nymph that lived under a rock. Yeah. And, and that type of knowledge is, is just rubbed, up, rubbed off on me over the years. And, and now I appreciate it even more as an adult. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah for sure. So you said mainly, mainly salmon, but I guess you would have been like fishing for trout and perch as well, eh, when you were young? Everything. Literally, so yeah. we were we lived in a really salmon or in salmon and sea trout orientated area, so that was the main the main sort of fishing really. But we also had unbelievable course fishing not far away from us, and and sea fishing to be fair, a little bit more of a journey, but we would we'd still do that then. Yeah. yeah. And what was the sa- what was the salmon fishing like in that back then? Like I remember as a kid. So obviously in the UK, salmon fishing is quite a I don't know how you'd say it, snobby hobby. Like, I think yeah. I to say it right, like you know. No, it's funny because we like I'm just the Aussie, but that's kind of the impression I get. Yeah, a lot of people. pretentious assholes just uh, stood on a river thinking they're God's gift wearing tweed, and you saw yeah. like you know, <laughs> whatever. And to be fair to my dad, he was far from like that. And I think, and towards the end of, of you know, he he lost his love for salmon fishing because of that sort of orientation. And ironically now in the really in this current day and age, it's almost gone full circle where that's not nowhere near the case anymore. It's a lot more open minded. There's a lot more people doing it in terms of people who wouldn't necessarily salmon fish and this snobbery around it has has dropped significantly. And I think that's ah, okay. That's interesting. It is is it and because is that because the fish are sort of coming back a bit as well? No, I think it's the opposite. I think it's because the numbers are low. So I, th- I think the reality is to open it up, to get people doing it. There's not just loads of fish, and it sounds almost contradictory, really, in a strange way. But I think just as times have moved on, fishing the numbers of fish have dropped massively. So there's less and less people doing it. And in order to get people back salmon fishing and back doing it, in order to save the stocks, they've got to open people's eyes to it and and open new avenues. And and so many fisheries, especially up in Scotland, are doing so much for young anglers. And and of course, there's still that element of snobbery there to it because it it is an expensive hobby to do. But Yeah, I was going to say, what's it? so if someone wants to go catch a salmon, what's the process these days? Well, it's a tough one because it depends where you are in in, in the UK. So... Scotland is obviously the the hotbed for it. So you go into Scotland and there's still plenty of salmon running the rivers and it's still tough going, don't get me wrong, but you you stand a chance of catching one if you're there in the right conditions over an extended period of time. Um, So you would pretty much hire a guide or maybe even a ghillie depending on on what stretch you're you're going on. So up in Scotland, you can pay like up to like £500 for a week's fishing, maybe even more on some of the the really exclusive rivers. Um, Yeah. And, and basically, did you say 500 a week? Yeah, maybe even more. I That's think, actually not too bad. I know, I'm being quite conservative there, I'll be honest with you, just in case there's some, uh, some, <laughs> um, maybe yeah. a little bit more because I'll be truthful, I've never really done that expensive side of it because, like, my old man wasn't a fan of it, thought it was absolutely ridiculous. So, but locally to me, 
you would do so like you could join a club for the year which provided salmon fishing which would probably be about a thousand pounds a year and that would yep. give you unlimited access all year round to fish that's, that's not bad it's not it's not too bad really in the grand scheme but actually if you're yeah, it's still a thousand my mate corbett's got a saying right a thousand dollars is not a lot of money but it is if you don't have it exactly exactly and actually say if you've got a young family and and all that type of stuff a lot of money to not catch a fish because like that's where it got to so people were paying thousands it really depends on the river so if it's a really exclusive river it's a hell of a lot more than that but where i yeah because a lot of those are privately owned aren't they yeah so you'd pay five thousand thousand pounds sorry to be a member of a set of a club they give you course fishing as well but mainly salmon fishing um okay and that was on the River Ribble near me and its various tributaries, which was a, a decent salmon river, but it wasn't like any of the ones up in Scotland. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Man, there's something about like salmon fishing. So um, to divulge, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So um, I grew up like oh, just fascinated by fishing on the south coast. My grandparents had a place, right? Yeah. And then, I don't know, it was just something about it, right? You know, it's like it gets in your blood. But I didn't have many opportunities until I was about sort of 16, 18 when I left high school. Mm. And then I just remember right, I saw this like English like freshwater fishing magazine and it just like there's something crazy. about the whole like, I don't know, man, just like Scottish dudes on a lock dabbing for trout it just like it, it just i was just like fuck that i want to do that yeah <laughs> and, and trout fishing was through english trout fishing magazines is actually kind of what got me into fishing because we've got trout here yeah. um in my state it's not amazing fishing but it's all right but there was just something about that i was never really kind of drawn to the ocean i was always drawn to the english gentleman you know yeah. uh type and like i've got this book on um you know, Scottish salmon fishing and the photos in there are just like unbelievable and like, you know, catching salmon and cooking it on the side of the river and there was just something about all that. I was just like, you know, and look, I've never made it to the UK, but there's, um, you know, it's on my bucket list. Like I, before I go, I just have to catch like a, a trout in the English stream. You've got to do <laughs> it's it. It's weird. Because it yeah. is, it's, it's almost the most quintessential fishing experience and i mean like sort of we're talking about salmon there i mean for me it it, like where i learned to fly fish and where most of my fishing was trout fishing because there is a good number of trout in in english rivers in in the vast of english rivers i mean the east coast is nowhere near probably as good as the west coast for it but saying that that's only a certain area of the country it's it, like the UK is such a strange, such a strange country. Like, you got so much water. Like it's just, it's weird for us Aussies, right? Because our country it's so fucking big, right? But there's not much water. It's all around the edges. Yeah. And even in my state, like we got rivers, but man, you got way more water than we have. Per, per capita, it's got to be, isn't it? Because yeah, like, for sure. It's the amount of rivers. Yeah. And like, don't worry, I've looked, man. Like yeah, I've spent okay. days, like looking at english maps online and marking spots and all that and i've realized because the whole canal thing too that spins me out like so a few of the other youtubers that i follow are a couple of people that live on those narrow boats yeah and that just blows my mind man it's just like there's thousands of miles of that shit it's incredible it's nuts it is absolutely nuts and half of them like you've say thousands of miles there like probably i'd say maybe 40 50 percent of that's probably unfished because it's just so yeah. 
it's just and it's yeah just, i was gonna ask bit. you about that i see like george fishes the canals a bit and stuff but yeah i'm thinking a lot of that's got to be untapped eh? a lot yeah like i mean it's you obviously have the odd angler because it's all accessible that is the great thing like there's a towpath that walks along it and the history yeah. of that towpath is those narrow boats were pulled by horses back in the yeah that's right and even earlier than that so those paths are still there and you can walk for miles and miles and miles and miles if you really wanted to. But a lot of See, them that's are. the big issue. Sorry to cut you off, but that's no, actually no. the big issue with the streams like in my state is like most of it's just hardcore bush and I'm talking like yeah. you can't even fucking walk in there, man. Like it's just – and there's small strips where it's like cleared and there's bits that you can get to and you can canoe and stuff, but that's the one thing that – you know, there's only really a few places in Australia, Victoria – up the snowies and some other places where it's like open, but like a lot of the places that I go, man, like you can't even backcast. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine it's just deep mangrove or deep bush, and you're just sat there going, like, what? It's, this is this yeah. worth it? And then never mind that. At least in the UK, there's no fucking poisonous snakes and spiders to worry about. Like oh. you can just bash <laughs> That's true. Although, it's funny, right? Because I actually have been bitten, but um. Yeah, most Australians, like, never really see them. But it's funny how tourists are, like, always. But, yeah, look, I think two or 300 people get bitten every year, but they don't you generally don't kill people anymore. But it always makes us Aussies laugh when tourists, like, talk about the snakes. <laughs> oh, when I came to Oz three weeks this year, I was, like, I wouldn't, there was a point where I was like, should I jump Were you in looking the everywhere? Sea? Like, should I jump in the sea? Am I going to get fucking stung by a stingray? Am I going to get bitten by a shark? Or, oh, like, man. jumping on the beach? And I was like, is a snake just going to come up from underneath and bite me through my hammock? And, like, the lads I was with were just absolutely wetting themselves. Like, they, yeah. they couldn't yeah. it. But if it's a new environment to you, you don't know. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh, look, there's plenty of Austra- shit in Australia, man, that'll fuck you up. And, like, where you were up there, actually, the box jellies. Like, I wouldn't go in the water up there. Because they're tiny, you can't see them, and those things will kill you like in 20 minutes, kind of thing. Mm. But snakes generally, like, man, unless you like fucking with them and like, unless you're going to tread on one, yeah, they generally, they generally leave you alone. So I actually did want to ask you about Australia, but just going back quickly, um, before we move on to that, tell me about your dad. My dad, yeah. So my dad was a fanatical fisherman. I, I mean, and not only that, he, he embodied the sport, whether it was sat by a flipping commercial fishery teaching me how to fish to being on the middle of a stunning river spay casting for salmon. He was doing it. And, yeah. you know, without getting, I try not to get emotional to be fair, but unfortunately he passed away coming up five years ago now. And he, he was my, he was my best mate, you know, and I had probably a bit more of an unconventional upbringing, really. My, my mum, went out to work and, and was the breadwinner of our family and, and my dad was a stay-at-home dad. And, okay. and I think really that was what probably built that relationship because he picked me up from school and then we'd go fishing. And even my sister would come fishing with us until she was a teenager, then she told us all to fuck up. But, you know, like that's sort mm. of the general family dynamic, but it was, he was always there, you know, he was always, always there for me. And Growing up, you know, there was there was tough times really in terms of seeing him ill because although he died five years ago, he was fighting prostate cancer for fourteen years. Um, wow! Probably one of the youngest diagnosed patients of prostate cancer in the UK at the time. So um, how how old were you when he passed? I was twenty three. So twenty three. 
Yeah, and at that time, you know, I wasn't doing sort of following my passions in fishing. I was working in finance, um, doing pretty well for myself, to be fair. Like, you know, cracking on my career, had a great, worked in a great team with great people. Um, And when he passed away, I think the reality hit home. And I think that reality hit home from my dad and my mum. You know, I, I've had a really good family unit. You know, it's not, I've not been sat here brought up in like a broken home or, or anything like that. And my mum yeah. and dad loved each other to pieces and and were always there for me and my sister through thick and thin, regardless of what it was. And and that family unit was, was so important for me as growing up and and everything. But, you know, when when he passed away, they my mum and my dad had, had saved their whole lives to spend their retirement together and, and travel the world basically, which is what they did before they had me and my sister. Um, and they never, they never managed, they never managed to do it because he, he passed away before then. And mm. it, it triggered something in me that life's too short. You've got to, if you want to do something, go and make it happen because you never know what's going to come around the corner. And although, you know, he was around for 40 years, which, you know, was a privilege to, to and and lucky, I guess I don't I don't even know how to explain it to be able to ensure that he survived to keep us, yeah. bring me and my sister up was was pretty mega. To be honest with you, those t- those incredibly tough times, incredibly horrible times during that period, which you know we don't need to sort of go into on on this podcast. Mm, we get it. Like it, it was. It, it made me who I am today and he made me who I am today. And, and those five years after my dad passed away was, was incredibly tough because it was like I just completely lost half of my life, half of me. And mm. because he was like, you know, if I had a problem, I'd talk to my dad, whatever it could be from, I don't know, I'm going to use a bit of a rogue example. But like I, I remember te- when I was 18, I thought I'd pull a joke on my dad and text him that I got a one night stand pregnant. And like, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and rather than um, and rather than him going, you know, what he done that for? His tech, his reply, his response to it was, "Don't worry, mate, we've got you back." And wow. you know, that's I think will always sum my dad up in a nutshell. Yeah. That even and it was a joke. No, and dad, it's a joke, but that's the most wholesome thing I've ever read. But like, <laughs> yeah. But, he, wow. he was an unbelievable human and had such an impact on on so many people, whether not just me, not just my sister, not just my mum, but people in the community, people around us. He he embodied helping others was the first thing he would do, regardless of how ill he was, regardless of how he felt. He was always there for someone else. And and I, I'd love to think that that's what I've taken from my dad, really. You know, that was the yeah. one. And I think it's a great characteristic and a great trait. I find it's very interesting that, you know, his passing is actually, even though it was painful, it led to you coming to the realisation that what you said, you know, life's too short, fuck this, I've got to follow my passion. I find that really interesting. Exactly. Do you think think if he hadn't have passed, would you have still done that or not? No, I don't think I would have. I think my life would have been incredibly different because at the time when when he did pass away i was like i said i was working in finance i was in a sales role earning really good money um had a had a girlfriend at the time sort of who i loved in all the world settling down whatever pretty much not far off and 
and when he passed away like i i um, i'm not gonna sit and deny it. i couldn't deal with it i could not deal with it for mm, I just, too heavy it was i just worked worked and worked and worked myself almost into an early grave really um to try and not think about it i was angry i was upset and i was frustrated at the world because i was like why has this happened to him why has this happened to him at 57 you know like mm. it just it doesn't it didn't make sense to me and i couldn't understand it considering he was one of the most healthiest men in the world as well he didn't drink he didn't smoke like what yeah why has this happened to this unbelievably kind bloke and and yeah it it gave me that once i'd come to terms with it i guess and and i not even once i'd come to terms with it really once i'd sort of started to understand the pain and and understand things and, and how I was going to try and make myself feel better was by fishing. Like when he passed away, I literally packed my bags and went to the Lake District for a week. Yeah. And went in my car and went fishing every day for pike. And he, he didn't even mm. like pike fishing, but I just went pike <laughs> Like, and it was the connection with the outdoors that you needed. Man, I got like the reason I asked you about that, right, is because um, I, I got a similar story and I've picked up through just watching your videos that your dad was an absolute fucking cracker. And, you know, what, what you said, you know, you were lucky to have him really. And I, and I, so my old man passed when I was 18 and what people don't realize, and I know George has got a similar story and what people don't realize about that is like father's day, birthdays, Christmas, right? These are all supposed to be happy times. But when you're when your old man passes when you're young, it's fucked. There's just no way to describe it. And Father's Day, it took me a long time and it wasn't until, you know, I became a dad myself and like I should tell you as well, I mean, I'm fifty years old, right? So, you know, and it, it, it didn't really affect me as much as it affected you in terms of like, you know, go chase your shit, but then like fast forward like forty I was forty eight, right, and I had a heart attack. And it was one of those things I didn't even have really high calcium scores or anything. It was kind of hereditary. It killed my old man, like early 40s, like it runs in my family. Yeah. Um, but it did the same thing to me, you know. It just, I was like, because when you're, when you're lying there, man, I, and I tell people, right, I wish everyone could have a near-death experience because you'll fucking sort your shit out real quick. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and yeah, I had my epiphany then and I realised, like, you know, like life's not about working. Life's about, you know, experiences and fishing. And there was a few things, you know, like one of them was, you know, like catch a trout in an English stream. And it was only literally maybe two or three things that I kind of thought of when I was lying there. And I was like, you know what, fuck it. So, like, I literally, man, I, I don't really work anymore. Like, I do. That's a lie, but it's true. Like, I do what I want to do these days and you know that's how i make my days look kind of thing and yeah it's funny that um that through you know marcus aurelius quote he actually says man the obstacle is the way yeah. i think that's what happened to you and me totally i think i think it's a it's a similar boat and although you know it you sort of say there it was your having a heart attack which i'm, I'm so sorry to hear about as a as a rule but it you know you sometimes you need something in your life that's it's building yeah. resilience. It's resilience in the end of the day. That resilience, get back up and go again. And actually, well, it's funny how when the shit hits the fan, that's when the growth comes. Massively. If life's easy, 
you just end up going in circles for me and it's yeah. easy you can just potter through it and do whatever you want but you need some hard it's it sounds awful but you need some hardship in your life to achieve something and even if you look at if you go into business and you look at some of the best entrepreneurs out there they've all gone through something because it yeah. triggers them to drive and push for something and it gives you that fire in your belly and that is something my dad always taught me he did you need to have that fire you've got to always have that fire in your belly whatever it might be even if it's just to go and live your dreams and live your passions you've got to have that fire and it's got to be burning for you to to do anything yeah and you know it's funny because listening to you talk there i realized right your dad he's only gone in person totally he's 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 not like he because he's still there man (laughs) well you know what i I have um i I have a great story about this actually and it was it sort of links to being here in japan now and and sort of during it wasn't really until i came to japan where i actually believe had the first moment of going actually i'm over this now not over it but you know like i can process it i can deal with it and there was a dream that i had and it was in january of this year and I, like you know, I was doing, I was smoking a lot, of, a lot of weed. I was flipping, blazing my head off, like a lot of the time. I was sort of yeah. out, you know. I'd, I'd left, I'd left work completely. Sort of, luckily, I was living off my savings, and and I was, I basically hadn't worked for almost eighteen months, and I was, I was just fishing, which was great, and I was doing my own thing, and 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 I was loving every minute of it. I went to Florida. I went. To- yeah, I was going to say, man, smoking weed and fishing—that sounds like a good times to me. Yeah, there was some. You know what? I'll look back all way and be like, yeah, this is absolutely class. But what I did realize was it was taking over my life to some extent. You know what I mean? And yeah. In my friendships, and you got to own it. Don't let it own you. Exactly. Exactly. And I had a dream one night. And it was, and well, I thought it was a dream. It wasn't really a dream. It was like, do you know when you're in bed and you're sort of half asleep, but you're not asleep? Like you're completely easy yeah. to everything that's going on. And, and at this point I was, this isn't like a hallucination, a drug hallucination or anything like that, but I was. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I was, I was completely sober at, at this moment in time. And I was just lying in bed pretty much just before I went to bed. And, and he basically, I was like, my I just closed my eyes, resting my eyes. And I remember him it was like he came to me and it sound this sounds such bullshit, but it, 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 it wasn't because to the point where like I went into, so basically he came to me and went, you need to sort your fucking shit out in that phrase, right? In that yeah. exact phrase, it sticks in my head. And he was like, you knew that's what he would tell you if he was exactly. around. You're a, he was like, he told me you're becoming a waster and you're a dosser. It was a bit tight yeah. to be honest with you to, to be quite yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I sort of like, and then that was it. And I like, literally, my body went cold. Like my whole body, it was like an inner body, inner body experience, however you want to call it, right? And I, I went into the kitchen and I saw my mum because I'd moved back home at this point because I was like, let's keep the cost down and live in the dream, right? And I went in and saw my mum and she was like, are you all right? You look like a ghost. And I was like, I've just seen dad and he's told me I'm a fuck up. And, um, and she was just like, hmm. Not far off, mate. And I was like, cheers, mum. <laughs> <laughs> but it gave me that sort of impetus to go, right, I need to yeah, sort of It was that. time. Yeah, and I booked it. I thought, right, last trip, let's go to Japan. I had the last bit of my savings. Let's go to Japan. Let's see what happens. And if not, I come back, I go to finance. I still do my videos on the side and see where it takes me. And, yeah, yeah. and I was walking through Tokyo 
well, actually, before then, I was coming into Tokyo from Narita Airport after going up to the north for a week, which is where I am now, and then came down to Tokyo to go and do a week in Tokyo. And I was on the flight, on the train in, and I just cried, like profusely cried and cried and cried on a on a Tokyo subway. And safe to say, the Japanese aren't used to that, a little bit of expressing, expressing of emotions, never mind. Mm, interesting, yeah. And then, and then I basically fished for a week, um, sort of in Japan, lived it, went around the country, blah, blah, blah. And then I came back to Tokyo before I was flying out to Oz. And I was walking along um, the Akinawa River, Arakusa River, um, which is like one of the main rivers in, in Tokyo. And I was going after Suzuki, bass fishing, and it was about one in the morning. And it was pitch black. And by this point in the trip, I'd been, I basically had an interview to come, on, come up to Japan and I was going over to Oz and um, completely got off the drugs and, and was living my, you know, living my best life, really. And and for the, it was like I was walking along the river and it was like, like I said, one in the morning. And I just felt this arm around me in the pitch black late at night, just going, well done, mate. I'm proud of you. Keep freaking going. And it wow. was most powerful and I, it was freezing cold as well it was blowing a flipping gale and I've never felt it was a complete contrast to that cold feeling like I just warmed up absolutely warmed up to pieces and I just thought like how much I would have loved to have been there with my dad doing that because he was a big bass fisherman that was his yeah. and it just it was almost like I'd come full circle and in the space of like wow. three months and I've never had I can't, it's, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast to be fair, but like it's, it's one of those experiences that I'll never forget. And it, and it, it was just completely, completely embodied the whole, it was, um, it just completely sums it all up for me. Yeah. Mate, that's yeah. incredible. That's, I got goosebumps, man. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I don't do fucking psychics and woo and all that kind of I stuff. Know, right? But, rubbish, mate. but but I do, like, because one of my mates, um, Wilkie, passed a few years ago, right? He's one of my best mates most of my life. Actually, my ex-weed dealer, <laughs> by chance. And when he passed, right, like, I tell people, right, like, I still talk to him all the time. And I don't mean, like, I hear voices and shit, right? I mean, like, I'll have conversations with him or, you know, sometimes I'll see someone post up on a fishing site and I'll have this imaginary conversation with Wilkie, you know, like, oh, what do you reckon yeah. of that? And he'll say, oh, fucking rubbish, like, or, you know, just, yeah. like, what? whatever he used to say and i think like i mean the other thing is like uh if you, i don't know if you if you've ever like uh, delved into psychedelics or anything like that man but all i know is like what we see is not everything that's no. all i know like there's totally definitely true. fucking other shit going on that's all i'll say <laughs> well we don't we underestimate the power of our brain i think that's the that's the truth yeah that, that for sure to find that power at times and i think that's what the government don't want us to know they don't oh, exactly. They don't want us to, and look, you know, I actually think like I'm going to digress a little bit, but then I'll come back real quick. So I actually think a lot of that, this whole UFO stuff that's going on now, a big part of why they kept it a secret, right? I actually reckon is that they don't want, because here's the big thing about the UFO, right, that a lot of people don't realize. It's not the actual disclosure of aliens that's going to be the big thing, right? The big thing is getting to find out where we came from yes what is actually real because if we 
because that's where this leads to, right? And I reckon they don't want us to know that. They don't want us to know our true potential, like as human beings and where we came from. And I think that's actually more what that's about. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. No, we won't I, get into that. It's, it's proper funny you say that, actually. I was um, I was watching a, a little documentary before bed last, last night, literally last night, about um, like crop fields. And do you know when there's been like patterns in crops and stuff? Where, where... Yeah, man, we get them here in WA, in the wheat belt. Yeah. And I've talked so- to farmers about them. I bet they're fucking mental to see and mental just to come out and go, oh my God, this is so yeah. geometrically correct. And yeah. like, and just all the messages that have come through them. And obviously there's a, a, sort of a lot of it, big stories came from Wiltshire in England, doesn't it? That's and, right. And it just, it's, it's interesting you say that and it's them communicating with us. And actually there was one they were talking about, which was pretty much highlighting how we, how we were formed and stuff like that. And I couldn't go into the details of it because I can't bloody remember. I was half asleep. Like, but it, like, yeah, there has been a few messages received and warnings too, I think. But, yeah. And look, some of them, look, I always play the role of skeptic, right? But there's definitely, like I've seen them with my own eyes here and there's nobody going out there doing this. Like whatever it is, it's some kind of natural or unnatural phenomena you know it's definitely real and you talk to the farmers about it here right and like a lot of them don't even really kind of want to talk about it right and then they just yeah you kind of got to get to know them and get to real because the first time i started going out there right i was actually doing tornado research that's another story and i started talking to farmers about what they were seeing you know and then i started seeing a few crop circles and i was saying to them oh what's that over there is that the local kids playing and then you could tell by their reaction like a lot of them they don't even want to really talk about it you know and some of them have actually seen stuff they'll describe balls of light you know sort of like zapping around and stuff like that but yeah a lot of them don't just like uh what do they call them? I, just, I can't remember they call them something, but they were just like, no, nah, we just we just fucking don't want to know about it, basically. <laughs> it's almost, it's easier being ignorant, I guess, isn't it? And also, yeah. I wonder how much has been discussed, like, governments going, we'll you'll wrap your subsidies if you go any further with this. Like, you know, yeah. you just have no idea about, like, they've signed contracts that mean that they get oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them, like I said, they just won't talk. They won't say anything. So anyway, we're getting away from fishing. Um, what I would, did want to actually ask you, so then getting on to um, so your YouTube channel, Bang Average Fishing. So how? tell me about the start of that, how you came up with that and how that all came to be. So that was this. It, it all does link into my dad. It really does. Um, and, and, and this is where, you know, when I was talking there, like the man had such an impact on my life, like huge impact. Yeah. And if he was well enough for probably five or six years earlier, maybe we would have done something because the two of us were like absolute characters and, and bounced off each other. And then never mind my dad's dad, so my granddad, who was he, he was a, a nutty scouser. So you had like <laughs> three of us, one going all the time, which so like, yeah. you know what I mean? There was three of us were absolute nut jobs combined. So it would have been. He probably a, would have been good on camera. He was great on, he was. The two of them together were an absolute nightmare. And then I was, then I started growing up and I became a nightmare. And the three of us were absolutely not like mm. just a problem. A problem. Yeah. But, but again, digressing. But when, when he passed away, about 18 months after that, I, um, I was sat sort of doing my day job, hating life. We'd just gone through COVID as well at this point, And I was sort of stuck in my one bed flat in the middle of nowhere. Couldn't go and see my family. Couldn't do anything. And it was, um, it was, I was sat there getting feeling pretty low, to be truthful with you. And um, and it took me 
pretty much getting 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 pretty dark. It, it, it led me to almost take my own life. Um, and I, I oh, sat really? there. Yeah, it's sort of when like I'm such a happy and jovial person, but actually, you know, those happy jovial people can have the darkest moments, right? Like that's yeah, they tend to be more susceptible to it. Yeah, and and but you know, I've never felt like that in my life, even straight after he died and whatever and everything. I was quite never really had those sort of depression, mental health issues. And um and it, it led me to a pretty dark place and and I was I sort of stopped what I was what I was about to do. because um, I actually saw my dog Iris and I was like, and my mum and I thought I can't do this to my mum. Like, you know what I mean? She's already lost her husband, that's enough for any, yeah. any person to go through. So um but I was like, but I need to change. I need to do something here that I enjoy. I need to pursue a passion, pursue a love. And I, as a kid, I always wanted to be on TV. Now, I went to a pretty rough school, really. Like, if you did drama, really, someone might have taken a shit in your bag or, like, <laughs> something like that. Maybe a little bit of an somewhat. But, you know, like... If you wanted to stay alive, you don't do the drama class. Yeah, pretty much, right? Like, you don't go and do the after-school production of The West End Story. Like, that's just not what yeah, you Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So, um, so, anyway, so that sort of put aside, I was big sport, like, played a lot of sport, football, golf, running, athletics, like, the works, and as a, sort of an, an average boy at school would do. But then, when, obviously, all that sort of stuff happened, um, after my dad passed away about 18 months, I, I sort of went, right, what have I always wanted to do? And I was like, I have always wanted to be on TV. I've always wanted to do something that's like on the stage or, or something like that. And I was like, it's a bit, it's a bit late in the day now with my finance degree to go and really do that maybe. So what's, what's the other alternatives? And I was like, and I used to watch Carl and Alex, um, a little bit of Snagbro as well. I don't know if you've seen those guys. And Yeah, I've seen them, yeah. I love Snagbro to be fair, but like, and this is no tint on, on Carl and Alex because like the videos they make are amazing. Like they're absolutely out of this world. But like I thought, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I've got the personality to do that. You know, like let's let's flipping give it a go. So I thought, right, let's 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 make it happen, type thing. So this was like July time, and and I was a bit fifty fifty on actually doing sort of the fishing side of it. Yeah, it was more like you know, let's document travels and stuff like that. Because I thought, let's go and do a bit of traveling, even though we're in. Yeah. And I went to Sweden. The uh, first one I saw, Sweden sea trout. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, which which is where this all, this is where like the the trigger point came for Bang Average Fishing in Truth because that was the first time I really had a camera up in front of me, um, and done anything with a camera. And I sort of after I, basically I left my job in finance during this period. Um, yeah. right, let's go and follow some passions. Let's go do something I wanted to do. And the world was shutting down because we were coming under the second wave of COVID, and Sweden was open. And I was like, right, sack it. Let's go to Sweden. I've got the money. Let's go to Sweden. So I hired a rental car, a little Renault Clio, and jumped in, jumped to Sweden, flew over there, landed in Stockholm, and um, and basically was like, right, let's go to the North Pole. That was my well, Arctic Circle. Let's see how far north we can get. And, um, and basically, that's what we did. So I drove up to the Arctic Circle to a place called Sturman, which is just south of the Arctic Circle. And... Um, and Sturman, I think I'm pronouncing that right, is like, it, it's known for having decent sea trout fishing, but pike, perch, it's, it's a cla- pike, like classic Swedish little town, really. Loads of lakes, rivers, um, and it's, it's just a pretty, 
nondescript town really in truth especially in the middle of November and um and I went into this tackle shop and I was like oh where can I go fishing and they were like oh you can go fishing on here pay your permit and go and it was about four pound or something like that it wasn't much so like eight dollars maybe and um and I was like right okay sack it let's go and he was like you probably won't catch anything mate and I was like yeah well I'm here so um I sort of jumped it jumped down to the river had a little rod that I bought off Amazon from Rigged and Ready, which is how I ended up working with those guys. And I'm sure you've seen those on George's videos. And, and yeah. um, so I bought that rod on Amazon just because I was going to Sweden. I wanted something to fit in a suitcase. And, um, and basically I never looked back from, from that rod and basically cast into this little sort of, it was quite a big little river, but it was like an outlet running out from the end of the end of the lake. And it was going, going on its merry journey and I was just fishing some huge little paddle tail cute little huge paddle tail thing like sort of messing about really seeing if there was a pike in this slack eddy water and I sort of actually just was like dropped it in there didn't really think and uh, ended up catching a nine and a half pound sea trout now that nine and a half pound sea trout is is mega in anyone's book like it yeah huge fish and it was it was an absolute fight and you can tell in that video how raw it is me saying every flipping yeah. <laughs> that was the first one I saw. Yeah, yeah. He's going nuts. But that on that day was the first time I'd put a camera in front of me, and it was exactly two years to the day that my dad passed away. Okay, and it was like whoa. Did you realize straight away? Like, oh, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Well, my dad was a, as I said, sea trout and bass angler, and he never managed to catch a sea trout of that size. Like he always, always wanted to. I think the biggest he ever caught was. Oh yeah, that's right. And and then because on, George has got the same thing, his dad always wanted to catch a ten pounder, but he yeah. never did. Yeah, he was his his bass, I think, from 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 memory. Oh, sea bass, sorry. Yeah, yeah he always wanted yeah. to catch a sea ten pound sea bass, and and he was always wanted to catch like basically somewhere seven pound plus was my dad's target, and he did. And take, you got that two years to the day. Yeah, and first time. What I'd did ever, that feel like? But I remember just bursting into tears after I put the fish back and it just swam off all kicking. And I just yeah. remember bursting into tears and ringing my mum on the riverbank and just wow. going, you're not going to believe this. And, and she, and she started crying because she knew how much it meant to my dad as well. And, and then yeah. I rang my sister and then she started crying because she knew how much it meant to my dad. Yeah. And um, it was quite it's a, crazy. It's crazy how much power it has. eh? It does. It, it is, and it sounds it sounds a bit nuts, maybe to some people who don't go. Yeah, I get it, man. I get it. It was just a crazy, crazy moment, and I and I sat there after, and I went back to that tackle shop, and I went, "Oh, I caught this," and he was like, "That's the biggest fish that's been caught all year, biggest sea trout that's caught all <laughs> year," and I was like, "All yeah. oh, right, nice." And um, and then I, it just made me go, "I've got to do this. That's a sign. I've got to try and do this. If there's if there's no other sign to tell me to come pursue this passion." Yeah then I don't think I'm ever going to get one. I might as well have been slapped around the face with a flipping fishing rod. Like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. so real. Well, man, I have to say, you're pretty good at it, man. And and obviously the creative side too, like, because um, like I've got a YouTube channel and it's just like for mucking around really, but um, people don't realize how much work goes into those videos. Do you do all the editing yourself as well? Yeah, it, it's a killer. It, it takes it absolutely... It's relentless. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the same. Oh, it can, it can weigh you down. Oh, it's, it's relentless, isn't it? Especially trying yeah. to 
I used to do it for a job. I worked on a fishing TV show here, and yeah, it's like you do. You got to be real careful that you sort of like manage it and take breaks and all that because it's the one part of it. And even though it's really enjoyable, because as you know, it's an artistic uh, endeavor, really. You know, a lot of the cuts, and if you look at you know different YouTube channels, as I'm sure you do, and you look at other stuff, you take notice. Like the more work you put into it, generally, the better it looks. Totally. And it's all those little tiny details as well that, as I'm sure you know, and, and if yeah. you're working on fishing TV shows, it's the sheer amount of content because yeah. the hours that you might spend not catching Oh, yeah. And you've got to filter yeah. through that and it can be so boring, right? Yeah. Like, well, we always used to have a thing. If, if we only caught a couple of fish, we just didn't air it. Yeah. Unless we got like really kind of impressive yeah. stuff. And some places we went three, four times to get it, you know. Yeah, I can imagine, especially when you've got a budget as well, and you're you're making TV shows. It's even it's an even more different discipline because, like for a YouTube channel, you can you know there's, a, there's an element of people watching it just because it's you and and you know you can put it out there. And if it fails, yeah, if it true. Well, you just yeah. make. It I feel you. I feel like you do a pretty good job by mixing it up. Yeah, like so I don't get bored. We try. Like it's it's hard though, as as I'm sure you know. Like it's it's yeah. It's finding the cutaways and finding the the little gems within that yeah. concept catching fish. Yeah. Where, They're the shots that matter. One of the best bits of advice that we ever got was like shoot all your cutaways or or not cutaways, but you you know your top like one percent of shots in the first hour of the morning and the last hour at night. And what we used to actually do, like, so I had a whole sort of ten year career as a writer as well, and. Um, what I used to do is if I catch really impressive fish on our boat, we'd put them in the live well and wait till sunset and take the photos. And now I know you can't always do that, <laughs> but yeah, but it, man, it, and you know what, it, it, it kind of elevated our stuff. We went from like, just, oh, you know, my writing went from just average to like, you know, working for the best magazines in the country with cover shots and that kind of stuff. And really know. that was, that was the best advice anyone gave me. He, my mate was a photographer and he basically said to me, I said, have a look at my shit. Like, I'm going okay, but I I want to be better, you know. What do you think? Yeah. And he said, man, stop taking, like, all your cutaways and that in the middle of the day. Just do them in the glory light, you know. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it makes and it's the eye-catching nature of it. And, I mean, yeah. photographs for a magazine or videos for a YouTube video or videos for a TV show, it's exactly the same thing. It's like the ideal sort of scenario is you catch a fish right at the start and then you can film a little bit of chat, and then maybe you go through the day, you sort of have a little potter about, you go for some lunch, whatever it might be, blah, 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 and then you catch a fish at the end. It's like the time, ideal timing that you can't control, that you've just yeah. got to hope happens. And- but I see that you do that pretty well. And like I said, even little things, right, like so when you said there you'll go for lunch, I remember a shot where you like went for lunch, you sat at the table, but you put the camera one table over, so when the waitress comes she puts the food down, then you cut to a shot of the food. Like, I, I know how much extra work it was, but, man, it fucking looks so much better. Totally. It's those little it's those little tiny details, isn't it, that, yeah. that really really help you. And you can, like, sometimes, like, you'll totally get this, like, where you're just lazy and you just can't be asked doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or it's a full restaurant. Or, oh, but you always, when you look back, you're always glad that you did. 
Totally, you do. And you come back and look at the footage and it's even like, it only takes you like 20 seconds to record, if that, and you're like, yeah. oh, sweet. And it's easy to put in. It's just the laborious nature of, of getting You it just got to keep telling yourself, like constantly we found when I was filming, you just got to keep telling yourself, you got to do those things, you got to do those things. So, yeah, what other things do you find make a difference? Like to, because um, following your YouTube channel too, I was going to say before, so most of the first videos I watched 400, 500 views right and then they were a thousand two thousand and then it was getting up like three five thousand and then i think like the highest one you've got is like twenty four thousand. and you know in the scheme of things some people might say oh well that's not a lot really but trust me when it comes to fishing channels twenty four thousand man i've i subscribe to a lot of fishing channels all around the world if you can fucking get 10 20 000 people man you are on top of your game i, I you know what i totally agree with you and it's it is, it's tough. It is tough. And, you know, I, I, me and me and George have had this chat on, on a number of occasions and, and I have to give George's credit. He is phenomenal at this, is is the clickbait. It's, yeah, it's, the it's, thumbnail and that and the text. Yeah. I noticed because if you go back and look at your videos about a year ago, you really started like doing that a lot more. Do you think that makes a big difference? Huge. Like the only yeah. deal, so it, it's almost, especially with YouTube, right? Like you could do the most average video in the world yeah so youtube algorithm works on click through so like how yeah many people click that thumbnail how many people click that title whatever it is right like it's sort of it's the most important bit and then if you do a great video then you've got the average view duration in there as well which goes up so it's like a a blended thing but that thumbnail and title are the most important things and to be honest with you i i I do struggle with it because i i do feel it's the one thing that irritates me about youtube it's the thumbnail and the title when people sort of lie about it and they're, and they're telling it. And I think it's... It's kind of, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's And look, some people do it better than others, but, um, you know, like I'll see other ones I follow, they'll say something like, it's time to leave. And like, you know, and I'm like, oh, what? They're leaving their houseboat? And then I realise, oh, no, they're just going on a holiday for a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've clicked on it and then you've ended up watching it because you've clicked on yeah. it. Right? You kind and of got to play the game. It's, 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 it's almost, it's such, it's so important. And I, and you know what, it's something that I personally need to work on is, is getting those a little bit better and, and getting them a bit more clickable, I guess. And, oh, and man, I can see like, you, you, you need to spend like an hour minimum in Photoshop, I reckon, just on the, on the thumbnail. You do, you do. And, and, and like, this is where like, my, I have so much respect for George on this because he puts so much time into his thumbnails and so yeah. much and into his titles as well. Like, he will sit and agonize over titles for, for ages. But you know what? You see the results. You've see, like, you see the results on his sh- on his channel and, and absolutely fair play to the guy for doing it. Whereas for me, it's almost, and I think we've, uh, we've both said it to ourselves really, like, you know, you sell your soul a bit. It's almost how, yeah. how prepared you're, you're prepared to sell yourself to do it. And- yeah, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I don't reckon you, you guys are both authentic. And look, that's just part of making content you just you you know you've got to be attractive to people and the other thing is i um because i do want to ask you like you know what your ambitions are for the youtube channel to keep it going obviously but you know one thing i would say to any of you young guys right is one thing i've learned in life right is that a, a lot of the things that i failed at right the only reason i actually failed right was because i stopped doing it and the quickest way to failure is quit and then I started realizing, you know what? 
if I had a fucking kept my YouTube channel going back in the day, or like at some point now I'd have it going for 20 years or whatever, you know, and at some point I was told young crew as well, right? Whatever you're doing, it's a 10 year project, trust me. And it's a grind. But what happens is then uh, at some point, right, you become the guy that's been doing it for 10 years and you're up against like newcomers, you know, and it's like, you got this shit down pat. So yeah, I would, all I would say there is like, I honestly think it's going to be a huge success for you, man, but it's not going to be overnight success. You're going to have to grind it out. And people forget like too. So, you know, example, Rogan, right? Yeah. He, he started his podcast in like 2011, 2012, right? Up until about 2018, 19, like, I don't know what he had, but a couple hundred thousand maybe, right? That's not a lot really. From there, in the last three to five years, obviously it's just fucking blowing up. And same thing. All we had to do really was just keep going. That is it. That is, and that is that is sort of my my mindset with all of this. And actually, this is what finance did teach me, and a, and a sales mentality. Like I would keep ringing a customer. It might take me six months to get him, but I'd get him. And it's yeah. like, and it's that relentlessness to keep going. Don't get downhearted. Get you're going to get yeah. told to fuck off. Like just <laughs> you just got to take it on the yeah. chin keep going and keep going and, and you, you bang on for me and that's that's my aim here is is it's not going to stop it's just going to keep going and eventually something will happen and i kind of feel like you're made for this yeah everything about you your your upbringing the work that you've already done like it's all set because like a lot of people and like would get into it. and don't worry i've had ambitions with youtube as well right and then realized oh fuck that's more work than i'm interested in but you 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 know and not my passion lies in other places but yeah i can see that you're kind of just made for this i i think like i said the only thing in between you and major success i reckon is time agreed agreed and it's and you've got to find the time and and, and i'm lucky for me you know right now like I don't have any commitments. I'm not, I've got no children. I've got no, yeah. no at the moment. Like, Perfect timing. It is. It, it exactly is to try and pursue something and, and to make something happen, which is where I got to really was like, actually, this is a time in my life where I've got no responsibilities. I've got no debt. And there's nothing in my life I need to worry about other than yeah. getting this off the ground and making it happen. So it's, and I'm yeah. so lucky and so fortuitous to be in this position, you know, like yeah. I, I'm not taking it for granted. And I want to make sure that, you know, I capitalize on that. And and that's not to say that if you have commitments, you can't achieve, some, achieve something. It just makes it that little little bit harder for you. And you have to, you know, put your head down when you can and, and, and for sure. use your priorities in life. So, you know, it's, it's it's taking advantage of the opportunities you have. And, and, and speaking of, sorry, speaking of opportunities, so about a couple of months ago, you headed off from the UK to Japan and I thought, oh, this is interesting. He's going to fish Japan for a couple of weeks. And then it's like, fucking another video comes out. Then another yeah. video comes out. And this is funny, man. i got to tell you a funny story, right? Go for it. I said to my son about, I think it was about last week, we were watching one of the ones. And I was like, when I talked to Harry uh, on the podcast, right, I was like, I'm going to fucking try and convince him to move to Japan, right? And then no shit, man. Last night, the night before we recorded this, what did you post up? The start of Japanese fishing adventures. It was uh, it was inevitable, wasn't it? Right, like <laughs> I could feel it, man. I could feel it through the videos. I was like, man, this dude should like move to Japan. So, I, how, tell me about all that. 
it's like this is where this story gets it, like I do I, I, we were talking about this earlier and fate and spirits and all this jazz and all that rigmarole and I've never really believed in it until now until now like <laughs> it, it's just been an absolute whirlwind like I went on this trip to Japan like my last trip really type of after Florida doing a load of Scotland of just not working and and, and, and there's a lot of trips I went on where I didn't catch anything right and I ended up with no contact yeah. Yeah. And so that sort of they haven't even been documented or I've just not put them because actually it was just fun to go fishing without a camera and, and just have fun right like so but I came to Japan and it was like right let's do one big final trip something completely out of my comfort zone I have no idea what to expect I don't know what the fishing's going to be like I'm just going and I'm gonna see where we end up do a bit of research on, on the flight before we go and, and sort of a couple of weeks beforehand and see where we end up and that's exactly sort of what happened and came to japan went to flew up to hokkaido spent a week up here in, in just snow i was meant to go ice fishing but the guide ended up getting covid so i couldn't go and i was like oh, that's right grin and then down to tokyo but that was the one place where i did loads of research for really in truth was like actually tokyo is an urban fishing paradise like in the summer you can catch snakeheads in the river carp there's a few large mouth few largemouth in some of the rivers as well um and it was just like yeah let's let's flip in tokyo be a good one we can do a little guide to fishing in tokyo sea bass out in the bay all that type of stuff suzuki in the rivers as well so um that was that was all that and anyway went did film that went to mount fuji as well which was absolutely amazing and and loved fishing there big lake up there Oh yeah, well, there's like sort of the five lakes that run around Mount Fuji, and they're all they all don't freeze over in winter. They're all like volcanic, sort of got volcanic heat running through them, sulfur. So yeah. they stay at quite an ambient temperature. That's crazy, and the water's always warm. Fairly warm, yeah. It doesn't get below ten degrees roughly um, off the top wow. of my head. So um, you can largemouth bass fish all year round, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, at altitude, so- that's crazy. It is, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy, and and the waters are just like this iridescent blue as well. That you just yeah, like, it looked incredible. The other thing that's got to help is probably bait fish and food like, and stuff like that, eh? Yeah, so the there's loads, loads of um, they call them smelt. I don't know exactly what the Japanese name for them is, but they're like they're just like a small sardine almost, um, and the the bass just absolutely binge on those pretty much. Um, in the winter months and then obviously you've got all the frogs and fly life and stuff like that which is nuts in japan like genuinely the diversity of it is as out of this world like when you're driving down the road often your flipping windscreen is just black with flies and stuff at this time of year. sounds but, like australia i know right it does like you know what though the uk used to be like that but since they sort of stopped start started cutting hedges and and trimming stuff for roads it's all died it's all gone and you'll speak to some of the old boys in, in the in the uk and anyone who's listening to this will probably will probably know especially sort of the older generation that like you would have so much fly life on your car at night and now it's nowhere near what it was nowhere. interesting because they're cutting back the habitat near the roads i guess totally totally and it's it's it there's been a big change and it's, it's it's quite sad actually because it's it highlights diversity and highlights a healthy ecosystem. But clearly, that's yeah. Well, that that's another story. But anyway, yeah, back I, to Japan. Back to Japan, and I was um, and I was with my friend Sarah at the time, and we were sort of like sort of traveling about together, or whatever. And then I came. We went. I met her in Kyoto, and 
we were sort of we were traveling together but also just had the freedom to go and do whatever we wanted like we were just like really good mates we've been friends for years and and I sort of said to her look like you know what like I'm sort of done with the cities here I want to go this was in Osaka I want to go into a bit more countryside like I, I want to come really find some decent fishing so I got the got the Shinkansen so the bullet train in Japan which is great because you have a Japanese rail pass basically which gives you three weeks of unlimited travel around Japan on like the bullet trains and everything like that so you can get about pretty quick and it wasn't overly expensive really for what it was Um, I think it was about 300 quid 400 quid at the time it's gone up now unfortunately with covid restrictions being reduced but anywho um and went down to a place called miyazaki which is right down south um right in this one of the south islands and basically i went and i stayed in this little surf hostel which was like i don't know like sort of it was a really small place it was pretty basic but an amazing hostel like the people i met in there i'm still friends with now and just had a really good time drinking. I didn't do any surfing, but I did a bit of fishing, a bit of hiking and stuff like that in a sort of fairly tropical climb. But there was a gentleman who turned up there called um, called Damo. Now, the last Damo that I ever met um, got with a girl that I fancied, so I was a little bit dubious of a Damo. <laughs> didn't trust a Damo. Um, but he, he was turned out to be a bit of a, a, bit of a guy. So Damo worked in japan and he was in miyazaki at a golf conference type thing trying to win some golf business really for for up in hokkaido um, and his girlfriend accidentally booked him into a love hotel now for anyone who doesn't know what a love hotel is it's where you can pay by the hour to basically go sleep with someone in a hotel right and uh, yeah. and he sort of didn't and his girlfriend didn't know it was a love hotel but he turned up and it was and he was like oh my god i'm not sleeping here but they're really nice i don't know why he didn't to be truthful with you they're really really nice not that i've been in one but you know <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and basically so he was like you know what i'm not staying here and i don't think his missus wanted him to stay there it looked a bit dodged so he ended up staying in this little hostel with us and um and it was saint paddy's day and he was an irish guy uh, and we basically ended up sort of going to the onsen which is like sort of like hot baths here in Japan. You get basically bollock naked and sit in hot water. And it's, it's really good for you. It's, it's phenomenal. And it's, a, it's quite a sort of surreal experience, to be truthful. And if you come to Japan, it's so important you do it because it's a big part of Japanese culture. And, and we went basically, just sort of three of us at the time. Um, and yeah, we ended up going doing that. And then we ended up having a few beers and getting absolutely hammered. Like absolutely sozzled. Got on it. Yeah. And, um, in oh, this well, it was, was St. Paddy's Day, man. Of we get on I it have. in Australia. Oh, exactly. And he bought the beers. So I was like, oh, even better. Yeah. So um, we, we had a few beers and, and it was about three in the morning at this point. And uh, he goes, and he was and just talking about what he did up in, in Hokkaido, in, in Niseko, which is a big ski resort here in Japan. And it's, it's where all the gaijin, so like the white people come, right? And um, basically he was like, yeah, so I work, I'm sort of working marketing um, and do basically get try and get new business, whether that's for the ski season, golf season. Um, but we're also, you know, we want to do fishing as well because we we're working in such a great fishing area. And I was like, I can do that. And um, he was like, you what? And do you play golf? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I play off about 12. And, um, and he was like, you golf and you fish. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he was like, well, we're looking for golf caddies. And I was like, oh, well, flipping, I've got nothing else going on in my life, mate. If you want, I'll definitely go up and do that. And, um, and basically then sort of that was at three in the morning. 
nothing passed. And then he left maybe two days after. And I just said, hey, if, if there is anything going, mate, give us a shout. Give us a shout. And, uh, yeah, basically, this was when I was coming back. I was in, um, in Tokyo, ready to head over to Oz, which is a separate story completely. Because that was just from a guy I met in a hostel who said, you need to go to Cairns, right? So I did. But, like, um, and he basically just go and he just goes, are you free for an interview? And I was like, you serious? He was like, yeah, 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 for golf caddying and fishing guiding. And I was like, whoa, okay, flipping buzzing. Anyway, so had an interview in Oz, ended up getting the job, and pretty much the company I work for um, were like, yeah, we'll sponsor your visa, come over here, like spend three months, we'll put you up in some accommodation. You won't be working for us until you've got your work visa, because obviously you're not allowed to, but like you can just get used to the area, we'll give you a car um just as like a mate type situation um and we'll look at and just look after you until your visa's all sorted so so that's sort of sort of what happened and and during that time i was sat there going like you know what there's an opportunity here there's a big opportunity to be an english speaking representative here in japan and and try and connect these guides because yeah there's probably not many people doing it eh? there's there's not really there's a few japanese guys but obviously it's you know everything's in yen people and like western people as a general are pretty lazy like and i don't mean that nastily we are we just expect things to be in english we expect things to be done like in dollars or something yeah and i just sort of sat there and i I spoke to my my boss who who i'm going to be working for and i went look like there's an opportunity here and i'd love you love you to sort of back me and help me with this and i sort of wrote a little business plan for him and and he was like right make it happen mate go for it so wow I've not, I've not looked back, and, and that's what's led to Japanese Fishing Adventures, which is a platform that, are, that provides guided fishing in Japan in addition to fishing holidays across the country because the fishing is understated. It's massively understated, and I think that's Japanese culture probably of not being a braggy culture. Mm. And the, the fishing's out of this world. It's absolutely out of this world. Well, that was one of the questions I was actually going to ask you because – like, I've looked at Japan a few times, right? And especially, like, since I had my heart attack, I'm, like, planning trips, obviously, left, right, and center. It was like, and it was one of the things that was on my radar. And then it was funny, right, because even though I had done a bit of research on fishing in Japan, no shit, man. It wasn't until I actually saw your videos and I realized, holy shit, like, this place is fucking untapped, man. And not only is it untapped, what you said before about the wildlife and the diversity and i was like it, it's kind of your videos in a way man, have kind of like changed japan for me and the thing is right it's like i can leave here and i can be in tokyo in eight hours man right so it's close to like all australia indo pacific and even though australia is only 25 million but then i was like you know oh it's halfway between america and europe and it's like and the, it all started coming together i was like oh yeah man like i, I realized as well what you said that there's a real opportunity here. And would you say, is that the one thing about Japan that has surprised you is just how insane the fishing really is? Yeah. Like I, I had this mindset maybe of all the gear, no idea. Like in terms of yeah. like, well, you know what I thought? Fished out. Yeah, very much Fogged. so. That I think fished out could be the best way to describe it because I sat at home and you see all the documentaries of, of whaling and flipping. Well, you know how much seafood the Japanese eat. And I was just thinking, ah, oh, they yeah. flogged it. You know, and then I see you with like 10 pound trout. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and it's it's almost like it's in pockets. So, and it, the best, like, 
So you go to some areas of Japan, right? And there'll be a river that's crystal clear. It's so well looked after. There's not a single bit of rubbish in it. And then you'll walk two miles to your east or whatever, and the river will be filthy. But they have it blocked and completely protected from a river that they look after. So it's almost like segregated pollution, which I think is, is a very strange way to explain it. However, 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 that's on the mainland where the the most dense area of the country. Hokkaido is where I am, which is the North Island, which is, it's not far from Russia, really, in truth, is completely wild. And it's incredibly well protected. It's like Japan's final frontier. Yeah. They look after it implicitly, like the waters are crystal clear blue and the fish stocks are through the roof. Yeah, I was going to say, are they, so are they stocked fish or is that natural populations there up at Hokkaido? So they, yeah, okay. They've done a, they did do a lot of stocking historically of sort of, so it was in the early 1900s, they put rainbow trout into some of the lakes and stuff and they exploded, absolutely yeah. exploded. And now they're invasive. So yeah. it's like, you, you can do whatever you want with them really in truth. That's um, kind of what happens. Same thing sort of happened here in some places. Totally but right. I know as well, like, because, you know, I, so I used to fish the Australian tournament scene um for brim which actually they've got in japan and i was going to suggest that to you i was going to say man i think it's mostly in the south but there's a lot of aussie anglers man i reckon who would be keen like so black brim is kind of that and barra are probably the two number one fish and in terms of like a comp scene and just a general following like black brim is the number one fish in this country like the following is mind-blowing and through that like a lot of our gear that we use actually comes from japan so I kind of like have always been in touch with the Japanese scene. And I know like they've got a pretty big comp scene for uh, for bass. And I'm pretty sure the world record largemouth actually comes from Japan. Is that right? It was. It's Lake Biwa. And, and the great thing, and I'm pretty honoured actually really in truth to have, to have this as part of Japanese fishing adventures is that it's quite hard to, for guided fishing on Lake Biwa as a foreigner. They don't. It, it, it's very well protected. Um, but I've got a guide who, who will, and he's English speaking, who will take foreigners out onto Lake Biwa, which is the home of the record largemouth bass, which was 22 pound eight ounces, I think, off the top that's of my head. Insane. Insane. That's insane. That's just, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> well, the average size. So this is the thing. So funny enough, I went fishing recently on Lake Biwa and if I wasn't so hung over from the heavy beers that we'd had the night before, we probably would have been a bit more productive, but we were both absolutely sozzled. And, <laughs> uh, like, a lot of small stories start with me being a bit drunk. Did you catch bass or...? We did. We caught loads of small bass, like loads and loads of tiny bass. Um, yeah. None of the big sizes, unfortunately, on that day. But Yeah, I'd say if you look into that, I almost bet you certain times a year, most well, of those big fish will come, like, either post spawn or pre-spawn i reckon yeah, totally that was that's exactly what i was about to say but the average size of the fish in there is is pretty mega anyway like if you compare yeah. it to and the man state, they pull hard eh they oh, honestly it's from florida where i've did some largemouth bass fishing on lake okeechobee which is like yeah. the world yeah, i know that lake yeah <laughs> that lake jesus christ like that first ever top water smash from a largemouth was is still stuck and ingrained in my memory yeah. like i was just seeing those that big mouth come up behind the paddle tail that was banging across the surface and just like it's pretty mega bite and There's nothing like a surface bite 
there isn't and there's something about largemouth like and i was quite skeptical of the of the yanks with their uh, with their love for the sport but not fishing but for largemouth bass until i did it and i was yeah. like i totally get it get it yeah. we got bass in australia unfortunately we don't have them in my state but um yeah. we've got them over east man i've been over east i don't even know i'll say 30 times <laughs> Fishing for him. <laughs> That's well, how good they are. Successful? Is it been like, uh, or are they quite elusive? Because I no. If you go like... Queensland dams, there are a few good places in New South Wales as well. But the best places are there's a lot of big dams in Queensland that have got them, and there you know certain times of year it can be hard. But yeah, at the right time. And the cool thing about them is, as you know, they take just about everything. And like to give you an idea, so. We're catching 40, you know, average 30, 40 centimetre brim, right, on like sort of four pound, six pound gear, right? The first time we went bass fishing on the um, Gold Coast canals, there's like all canals there and there's freshwater canals. So people live on them. And this guy, Tony Payne, took me on there and he gives me a rod and it's like, man, it was like 20 pound, 40 pound litres. And I was like, what the fuck is this for? Clubbing seals, you know? <laughs> I was like, and he goes, ah, oh, you, you'll see, you'll see, man those things are just like you cannot believe when you get it in the boat that it's only like 40 or 50 centimeters because it feels like a fish that's fucking half a meter long kind of thing totally and they and it's where you catch them as well like often you'll just yes. catch them in just pure weed and then they'll just yeah. come up and slam a, t- a popping frog or you'll catch them midwater and they'll just absolutely pull you to wherever you want to go something about bass if i had bass here right i wouldn't fish for brim no no oh look that's a lie i probably would but i would (laughs) concentrate my effort mainly around bass and look we've got a lot of impoundments here but they got locked up after the war and there's they've been talking about opening them up for fishing but man it's been going on for 50 years so don't hold your breath so yeah but um so getting back to 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 japan what um, I wanted to ask you about their management, uh, like in licenses. How have you found like that? Is it like one rule everywhere, or is it different rules different places? How do they sort of manage all that? It's 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 quite hard to explain because where I am now, Hokkaido almost has rules to itself. Like so, yeah. for example, you can fish pretty much any river really with within certain parameters. So there's a few areas where you're not allowed to fish them and that's because there's no man-made influence on that river and it's completely protected. So there's okay. a place south of Hokkaido that's like that place called Shimamaki. Um, but as on the whole, you can pretty much fish any river for free and you can just crack on. Other really? than no that, license at all? No license whatsoever. Wow. And you, Fuck, man. Sure. Know, you should see what licensing's like in Australia now. It's getting, it's getting stupid. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. that even from just my brief time in Queensland, like seeing the, the limits and the catch restrictions that you had on each fish, which is great. It's, it's not necessarily the bag limits, it's the money as well, which is like a whole other thing. But, yeah. man, it's like, yeah, it's it's not getting like rich people's sport, but for certain areas of it, it is, you know. Yeah. It's, is it getting so I can't the- believe that. No license. That's crazy. But say if you want to fish some of the some of the famous lakes, so like Lake Akan, Lake Toya, um, Lake Shikatsu, which is which is sort of in my vicinity, you do have to pay a permit to fish those. Um, oh, but what's it, that cost? It's not too much at all. Like, yeah, okay. it on each and it's specific for that area. Yeah, it is. It's it's roughly about three thousand. Yeah. Hey, did you know as well? I just learned this the other day. That island where you are, kind of, they've got grizzly bears, man. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And black bears. Have you seen one yet? No, I haven't. But there's been sightings very close to where I'm staying. Um, Man. So, and I'm oh, heading like, to this shit. afternoon to try and basically film one, film them. And, uh, oh, really? Them. So, Man, they're proper uh, grizzlies too. I looked it up. Like they reckon five, 6,000. Yeah. There's, That's it's, crazy. It's, it's mental. There's, um, do they ever, like attack people there? You never hear about it. They, they do. So funny enough, there's a there's a video that was circulating actually of a man in Sapporo, which is like the capital here, um, basically where he got attacked by a bear in the city. Silence. Mental, isn't it? Mate, in the city. Yeah, I mean it's a one off. It's a one off. Oh yeah, I guess. Oh look, it happens here too, man. People get bitten by snakes in Perth all the time. Yeah. It's like it's sort it just of like seems so wild. It does, doesn't it? And I didn't know it. I didn't realise. And it's actually the, there's a good number of them because COVID really accelerated their protection, really, and allowed them to boot and, and recover somewhat. And it's they are here, and it's everyone who said to me like you probably won't see them. So you'll speak to so many people and they go, I've never seen a bear in 20 years and I've been hiking in various places or whatever, but yeah. they are always there and you've got to make sure that you're prepared and that you're aware of it. And it sort of stuck with me a little bit. And there are times when I get a little bit twitchy when I'm in quite remote places and going like, bloody hell, like actually yeah. what do I do if a bear turns up here? But they are concentrated more on the east side of the island and in the north of the island. So yeah. Okay. Do they give you like any tips? Like tell you like what do you do if you see one? Yeah, there's a few. There's um, there's a few guides, but it's all in Japanese, so you do have to translate it. Oh, but yeah. Like, yeah, so they don't, so they don't really translate stuff over to English. Like I notice a lot of European videos I watch, there'll be signs that'll have both, but they don't yeah. really do that in Japan. No, it is. It's very heavy in terms of you might you just got to look at the photos. Like the Japanese pictures. Uh, yeah. Really helpful. Like often or not, they're very elaborate, so you can sort of gather what's going on. It's not just like yeah, a bloke, yeah, yeah. someone not fishing. You'll have a full cartoon sketch of the dam coming down, kids fishing by the river, and it will. And eventually, you can sort of distinguish yeah, okay. like water levels differ or whatever it might be. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a funny one. But you, hey, some, yeah, go sorry. No, just just a final point. Like on, it, it is a very wild place, and it's not just you know bears. There's so like there's deer foxes everywhere stoats there's also like some really rare like chipmunk thing that lives around here but also snakes like the number of snakes is oh out really the world and poison snakes as well What's, uh, what type of snake is that there's like there's loads and loads of grass snakes and there's a poison state and it's it's literally just gone out of my head right now i cannot mm. move, like moon, I never, yeah i never thought japan had it does it's just one venomous snake and it will and apparently if it gets you you're screwed yeah, right. That's what That's I've been told. Be so, careful. Yeah, you do. You do have to be careful. And, Gate, and... Gators. We wear, like most anglers here, if you go on bush, you wear like a thing called a gator. It's like a leather like thing that kind of goes over your shoe up to your knee. Right. Okay. The main reason I wear them is actually they're really good just to stop getting scratched and stuff, you know? Yeah. Just a bit of protection because obviously yeah. even like, just fawns and, and like brambles and stuff like yeah. that. Fucking your legs are just absolutely. You get trashed, yeah. I'm bitten, especially with bush bashing. Yeah, totally, and just bugs like getting bitten by yeah. insects. I don't want to be scratching yeah. here for the next fucking six months. Like you just don't need yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Japan's a cool place. It's, it's, it's very yeah. That's one thing that's really amazed me is watching your videos. I kind of realised like, oh, this is like 
it's not really kind of what I thought. It's a lot more wild and there's a lot. I mean, I always knew there was a lot of fish in there, but yeah, especially the trout stuff inland, that really surprised me. Totally. And that's not like Hokkaido is, is the best bit for it because it is fully protected and it's a wild, wild environment. But the mainland has some unbelievable trout fishing as well. Like it really, really does. Yeah. And it, and you can like Nagano, Nagano, for example, is like Japanese Alps. That's unbelievable trout fishing as well. And, yeah. But it's also just like, so like they'll fish for bass on fly. They'll fish for flipping snakeheads on fly. Like it, it, it's, the quantity of fish is, is, how's is the, cool. um, How's the tackle stores? <laughs> oh, jeez. Like you, uh, they bankrupt you. They absolutely bankrupt you. If you're a lure The little small-type lures, man, they just love them. Oh, and the thing is as well, they're so they're crafted. It's the detail. It's the yeah. detail of the incident that blow up, that absolutely yeah. blows Because, like, when Brimfishing sort of on lures got going in Australia, a lot so of the like, manufacturers – sorry? You guys using soft baits for them, or like? Yeah, we use soft plastics and hard bodies. Like you use a bit of both, and it kind of depends where you're fishing. Like a lot of the rivers down south, the Blackwood and stuff, it's timber. So you tend to, I tend to throw hard bodies first, and then plastics because you lose a lot of gear. But it's kind of just part of it. But yeah, we a lot of the original ones were Australian designs, and they were pretty cool. But the detail just wasn't there. And then like, sort of yeah, when it came on like nineties. Uh, in the 90s that's when we started getting stuff from japan and mate you should see like a tackle store now in australia compared to what it was when i first started like it doesn't even resemble like there was no safe soft plastics at the start right and there was a little wall that had maybe 15 or 20 hard bodies on it and now like you go and there's like whole fucking warehouses full of just hard bodies you know and yeah it's amazing how much of it came out of japan and their attention like you said to detail and just just beautiful little lures and just so convincing and cast well swim well the finish on them is just like incredible you know and yeah it's amazing how much of an influence it's had a massive influence on on australian tackle and now there are australian designs but give or take a bit a lot of those are kind of copies you know and i'm actually yeah. like a bit of a rapala guy i've used because when i first got into fishing rapala was kind of like the best lure that you could get here yeah. Um, and they're very similar in design, obviously, to Japanese in quality of finish, you know. Um, yeah. and, and, and then I sort of just graduated to, like, Japanese, you know. But the other thing I actually wanted to ask you about um, in Japan, one of the things I've followed on YouTube is um, all these um, cheap abandoned houses for sale. Have you ever gone down that yes. rabbit hole? <laughs> I have. And, and it's phenomenal, isn't it? Because you'll see in Tokyo, yes. like, a house that's free and then some you'll have some like i don't know like some swedish geezer who's gone yeah no don't worry like i've been i've got this house for free and i've done it up with x y and z i've managed to go to ikea yeah. and say, oh, I live the there's dream. heaps of youtubers right westerners that have like done this that have gone over there and for people listening so what's happened is basically you've got like the age is top heavy and you've got all these people that are dying but they don't have any relatives sometimes it's tax debt um there's a lot of videos that explain it but i think last time i looked right i'm pretty sure because the government's quite organized over there and they've got this whole thing together it was 10 i think it was no it was a million or 10 million I can't remember. It's a fucking shitload anyway. It's like over a million abandoned house, or not abandoned, but 
um, yeah, houses that go for cheap. And look, some of them do cost money. There's not a lot of actual free ones. But I've sort of been down this rabbit hole. And like, don't worry, man, the thought even went through my head because I was like, oh. man, I could be there in eight hours. Um, there's a lot of rules, um, but I'm a tradie, you know, like I've done 30 years of trade, man, so I know to fix houses up and a lot of it's not money, a lot of it's just time and labour, you know, which, um, but yeah, I was like looking and there's a couple of good videos on there actually of people who've like explained the whole process, like what to look for and there's a few little catches to it obviously, but it's it's actually proper legit, like you can pick up and like some of the off-grid stuff in the like remote this seems like the further you go out basically the cheaper it kind of is and yeah don't worry i, th- I thought about it and i wondered too i was like oh i wonder if I wonder if harry's thought yeah. about that buying a house over there <laughs> i've totally thought about it and unfortunately where i am actually it's this prime real estate for because it's a ski ski area yeah it's a bit different up there the money i think most of them are in the south or the middle middle to the south but there are yeah, a few up there but we are here they are here and it's and it's in the more like sort of fishing villages and fishing towns and stuff like that sort of miles away from anywhere and i have thought about it massively in terms of like do you reckon i could do this what and i probably will in 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 due course but i reckon it'd be well you're never going to get a cheaper house and whatever you do don't fucking come to australia because housing here is just ridiculous right it's getting out of hand that's what and because like you know the other thing is like I got 15 years, right, Harry, left to work and really, right? And then I'm retiring and I'm thinking, where am I going to retire, right? And then I'm thinking of some little, imagine some little off-the-grid Japanese cabin like on a little fishing village or on a trout river nearby where I can grow me veggies and catch me fish and not see yeah. other people. And I was like, hmm, tell you what. <laughs> it doesn't sound bad, does it? It does yeah. not sound bad at all. The other thing is where it is, where Japan is positioned in the world, man, it's kind of like, because the problem with the southern hemisphere is not enough people and the big gaps between like Africa, Australia, South America. But really, Japan is like, if you wanted to travel and do a bit of stuff and do some fishing and do what you're doing, it's almost like the best central location. Especially for Asia and, and, and bits of the southern hemisphere as well. Like you, yeah. can, you can get to places so, so easily without... I mean, like, it's weird. it is weird coming from the UK because, what, you're, you're six hours from New York and four hours from Athens. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's kind of, man, it's, and it's a real, I know it sounds cliche, but it is real hard for, like, you know, like a little old Aussie like me who's just been brought up here and, you know, I've been to New Zealand, but I've never really travelled to other countries. And, mate, it's like, like, if you were to come here, right, like, and I would take you fishing, most of those spots are, like, six, eight hours drive. Yeah, that's what blew my mind when I went out there. Like, I would say to like the guys who I was, like, "Oh, can I go down to here?" It's like, "Yeah, you could do if you've got nine hours free driving." I'm like, "Yeah, what? it's just—it's such a foreign concept for us." It is. It, it, the the distances for you guys is mental, and I can imagine yeah. sort of when you hear things at four hours, like, "Oh, that's not even far." But like in the UK, yeah. people drive an hour. Man, I go four hours to like I've been four hours to race carts in Albany and then come back in the same day. Yeah, like, it's mental. It is mental. And, and to be fair, like, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm very much in that camp of where I'll do it. And I think that came from my job in, in sales, really. Like, going back to that, you know, is I would have to get up at 7 in the morning, drive down from Manchester and be on the south coast in Brighton, which is like four or five hours for 9 o'clock, you know. Yeah, and yeah okay. 
so you would have that it was sort of been ingrained in me to to get up and go and travel and and, and yeah i don't care how far i have to drive to go fishing i'll flipping if i if i drive five hours for work i'll drive five hours for fishing yeah. so it's like that sounded quite hillbilly didn't it but it's it's sort no, of the, i get it it's the mindset and, and Japan is a lot bigger than you, than you probably estimate as well. It, it shocked me how big it is as a country. And it takes time to get around as well, eh? Cause it's so hilly. It is. Yeah. And the speed limits, if you're driving, it's really slow. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's like New Zealand, nothing over 80. Not far off. It's mental. 80 kilometers. Mainland, but up here, it's like max speed limits, like 60 kilometers an hour. Yeah. And I know you said before as well you you have done a little bit of Australia, but I wonder do do you have um, now that you're kind of going to be based out of there? Do you think have you got plans or um, have you got other trips to Australia that you would like to do? Or yeah, you're going to be too busy. I think there's there's going to be for the next probably coming twelve months. I think it's going to be absolutely frantic, probably nine months to say. But yeah. well, by the next winter, my plan is to definitely get back down, get back down to Oz and. I'll, I'll be truthful. Oz would never, it never, not appealed necessarily, but I like to go places that are so different to Britain. And like yeah. in my head, Oz had been like a warmer Brit. And there's like a lot of Brits who go to Oz and they're like, oh so just, man. <laughs> it, it's not, right? It's not. I'm, I'm, it's completely I'm, different. Have you, like, I'm going to say that out right now. I got it very wrong. Like, yeah. Very, very well, you've wrong. seen Cairns. And look, Australian fishing is kind of weird, right? Because like, if you, I would say to people, if you plan it properly, right? Like, I can definitely put you on to places that'll blow your mind, right? And I'm talking like big fuck off GTs, like off the beach and all that. But it can also be really hard, you know. And it's yeah. sort of funny like that. You gotta you gotta plan it properly and go to the you know right places at the right time of year and these sort of things. But having said that, there's oh mate, it's like yeah, if it would surprise most people, I reckon, around the world. And like for example, Exmouth. Which actually, if you're going to do one trip, I would recommend that and tell you why. It's the closest to where you are. The other thing is, look Exmouth up, right? It's, you know, I've fished all around Australia and I got paid to do it for 10 years and I've done 10, 10 or 12 laps of Australia, been everywhere from Arnhem Land to Tasmania and fished comps and done all. And like, that's probably the best place. Like, in terms of just like everything, and it's got all the offshore sports fishing, big stuff, which doesn't really interest me, but it's nice to go do like the marlin and all that. But then it's got all the inshore stuff. So, a lot of guys fishing out of small bass boats with electrics, just going like through the coral bombies. And, you know, like every fish man is going to pull your arms off kind of things. There's bone fish in there. And then you got all the smaller inshore stuff, like brim and all that and the other thing with x mouse is because of the tides right the whole place just kind of empties out and refills every day so it doesn't like you're in perth where i am it's a crap little city right and the yeah. brim here like you can catch them right but there's no doubt man they're smart like yeah. they you know and if you can and there's other rivers that you go down south so if you catch four in perth man you'll catch 20 in albany kind of thing you know because yeah. the fish do get to know and that does happen up there as well to a degree but it's like every day is like a new thing it's because the fish, totally yeah. different fish. And you can pressure spots, don't worry, it does happen, especially in Shark Bay. They had to shut the pink snapper fishing down because, you know, people were taking too many. But it's all kind of properly managed now and stuff. But, yeah, we've got some um, we've got some stuff like uh, when I did, we wanted to do it before actually, but I didn't want to brag. But I'll, <laughs> when we finish, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll flick you like a bunch of my stuff like, 
um, on Insta and I'll show you like the kind of fishing that you're talking about. But yeah, if I was you, Xmouth, and look, any like the best time of year is kind of so about from October till May um, is when the marlin runs, and then the best time to but the easterlies can be bad. So most people kind of go in the winter time. But here's the thing about the winter. It's still good, but there's less bait. Like summer up there, it's hot as fuck, but there's a lot more fish around and there's a lot more. But, you know, you can catch, man, 20, 30, like, kilo GTs, like off the beach at the right time of year and stuff like that. So, yeah, if you did, if you, I would put that, you know, on your radar for sure. Because the other thing is it, for you is, like, it's close. Like, it's not that far. It definitely is. And it, it's something I will... Like, especially with the guys that, obviously, knowing yourself now, like, but, like, as, from the guys that I met out there, they, they were absolutely top guys. And, yeah. like, I would go out there just to see them anyway and just be like, yo, what's yeah, There'll be on? heaps of people, man. Like, if you put the word out and even, like, at the risk of sounding like a wanker, I pretty much know everybody in fishing in Australia. And, like, I've, I know people up there. And I used to work with Jenny. She owns the Blue Water Tackle store there. And, um, you know, we used to work on a TV show together. So, you know, her and Matt, they would take you out and they'd be happy to, like, show you around. And, mate, it's honestly, like, I don't want to talk it up too much, but, like... No, it, it, it's... It, the flavour of it was insane. It blew me away, Oz. The yeah. You kind of got a glimpse of the potential, but actually, most of that stuff that you did in cans, man, was actually pretty hard work. Like there yeah, was fish was. there, but they weren't really kind of. It going was. Hard. It was super tough, especially when we were fishing. Um, sort of, I can't remember Cooper's Creek, which was like a tiny yeah. little inlet. And, and you know what? A lot of that comes down to. Like, um, here's yeah. one tip I will tell you. Right. One thing I learned about fishing, and look, again, at the risk of sounding like a smart ass, you know, yeah, I did all right. And and um, and in the comps, you know, I, I represented my state. I won state champion and made it to the national finals and um, missed out on the top 10 by one fish, which still haunts me, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> I had it on. I had it on. Oh, I just man. Had it. Got oh, smoked, no. smoked, smoked in the oyster racks and would have got me in the top 10. But anyway, but one thing, I, if I could give you a tip, right, one thing I would tell people and, you know, if they're really getting into it, man, and this, you probably already heard of it, but I guarantee it's an unrealized potential, and that is the Saluna tables, right? So at oh, one point, right, I yeah. was fishing, I was fishing like three, four days a week for years, right? Like hundreds of days on the water, right? So I know I write everything down. So I started writing down, you know, just my catches, the tide, blah, blah, blah. And then I started seeing like certain patterns. It was like, oh, two times a month for about three or four days, it's fucking way better. And the other days, like I generally kind of struggle, right? So then I started looking up Saluna tables, right? And then I realized like basically I can save you 10 years of fishing data, right, and tell you like this shit works, man. And we even had comps, right, where – you know, the Saluna tables would say, oh, the main bite's going to be from 10 o'clock till 11 o'clock in the morning, right? And you'd yeah. send like 80 guys out on the water and no one would catch anything until like about 10 o'clock. And then everyone would come back in and say, oh, we caught three quarters of our fish between 10 and 11. Now, the other thing is it's not always 100% accurate like that, right? Because local things come into it, tides and local things, right? But yeah. for what you're doing, right, especially if you're planning trips and where it really came to me was like, when I started having kids, right, I was like, I had to kind of readjust, like, because I was doing a lot of travel and, you know, flying all the time. And then I started really, I don't have 
time to waste fucking around basically right i need to go if i'm doing tassie right i've got to do it at the best time of year so then i started planning trips around my saloon and the tables and mate i can tell you that and probably a couple of other two other like quick little tips will make yeah. such a huge difference and if you just start like this is what i tell people right if it says shit like it's shit go fishing anyway right but if you start taking notice of your data along with the Selena tables, I'll guarantee you, man, that you will start to see patterns. And there's definitely, because it got to the point where I was like, I can only fish six days a month, right? So yeah. I don't have time to fuck around with shit days. Like, what's the best six days? So then I started concentrating my effort around those best days. And days. I can tell you straight up, man, it, it fucking works. Yeah. And hunters, no, I, hunters I have used it. it for thousands of years, man. Uh, there must be something and especially with predator fish it yes. must be something that triggers them because i i sort of look at it for pike in the uk well i'll so, tell you what i'll do right when i get off i'll send you all the soon the tables for your location for the next month right and i'll just tell you these are the best days these are the worst days these are the times and then we'll do an experiment and then after a month or what a couple of months or whatever you hit me back and tell me what you think that sounds like a deal let's do it yeah. That's like they're in the making as well. Honestly, it makes a big difference, man. And the other thing is, you know yourself, like especially if you're going to be guiding now, you might be taking someone out and you've got to know heads up if it's going to be a hard day. Because if it's a hard day, what are you going to do, man? You're probably going to downsize. You're going to go more finesse. You're going to work a bit harder. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And and But I am a firm believer, though, in that you can, especially oh, when you're using lures. For like, sure. I know what you're going to say. You, they, they, and big fish as well. Maybe yeah. not necessarily quantity, but big fish. Yeah. Can just hit and look, I have caught fish on days when it said it wasn't going to be very good. There's no doubt. But I just find like overall average size yeah. and numbers. In the numbers game without a like, shadow of a doubt. And, and especially if you've got limited time, like for example, if you're going to Exmouth, right, and you're planning a trip and you're going to spend, you're going to drop a couple of Gs to go there, like you might as well have everything in your favour. Totally. You know, the, the best feeding times and all the rest of it. Yeah, so there's a little little tip for you. <laughs> no, thank you for that because it's something that I, I do look at. And I mean, I have a little app which is called Fishing and Hunting, right? And it pretty much gives yeah, you yeah. It gives you percentage of, of yes. chance of action on that day and it's all based on the like the, on the lunar cycles and what's going on yeah. and like and i'll be truthful with you i don't properly understand it but yeah i understand the percentage and there is a correlation between like when it says the best fighting times are going to be and when and when you're not hitting and obviously yeah there's exceptions yeah. to that but and if, especially if your time's limited like say so what you do is you concentrate your effort around the maximum peak times you know yeah, totally. And it, it does, there is a correlation without a shadow of a doubt. And, but the one positive, you know, for me really is like, other than when I'm guiding and taking people out, it's very different. But for just being out and about, and, and for me, like, I love fishing. I love catching fish. But, you know, I'd, I'd happily sit on a river in the tipping down rain and not yeah. catch a Because it's, it's just being out there and the sport of it. And, and there is also an element of me enjoying the the natural and the and the sort of the, the lack of predictability, you know, of just being yeah. out there. And, and Have you actually done any guiding yet? Have you started yet on it or not really? So we've set up the business, which is more centered around actually setting other people up, setting people up with guides. So that's, oh, okay. the, that's yeah. the premise of the business around Japan, which is what I wanted yeah. to do. Because 
obviously up in Hokkaido, the tourist traffic is a lot lower than it is, say, in Kyoto and Osaka and Tokyo. Yeah, and okay. But it's still there. a lot of people, eh? It's a, it's, it's a decent amount of people, for sure. Um, and there is quite a bit of competition in, in where I am based. Um, yeah. So it's a case of sort of getting through that competition. But I do have a few trips lined up, which is really good. Um, so we'll see how those go. Um, yeah. Also, made considering, you know, I only released this yesterday on the day of filming, right? Like, <laughs> yes. I had five inquiries about it for down in Tokyo and Kyoto. So, you know, there's and one's confirmed just as I've seen that come up. So... Yeah, I think you'll do all right. And like, um, well, now that I know someone there, like, I'm telling you straight up, man, it's only a matter of time before I come. Please, please do. And and there's no COVID restrictions anymore, so you can just turn up. Yeah, and it's nice and close for me, man. I looked the other day, right, 800 bucks return. It's not bad, Jetstar. Yeah, that's pretty good. I was like, man, that's fuck all. I should just go. (laughs) But I want to talk to you first because I want to, well – Trout's probably what interests me and bass, so I want to kind of figure out what's the best time of year. But I'll probably like plan something next year. The other thing is my son, he's 16, and he's mad for travel. Like he just – it's all he talks about. It's all he wants to do. And when I mentioned to him, like, oh, we should go Japan fishing, he was just like, when are we going? <laughs> well, honestly, it, 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 you'd be stupid to not to with based on the closeness and, and if yeah. you make it affordable for yourself. Like Exactly. Plus, just like forget about the fishing, man, Japan. Like, you know what I mean? The food. The, food. the culture, the food. There's just something about the architecture too. Like, it's just always appealed to me. I always wanted to have a little Japanese water garden. Like, man, I've got bonsai in my garden, you know? Yeah. Well, you'll see them everywhere down south. They're flipping. It's, it is just mental. Like, it is and it's country. a real clean, like, country as well, eh? Like, it just seems oh. like real safe to travel, clean. It's by far the safest place I've ever been to. Like, so I left a GoPro on a subway and it was returned to me the next day. Really? Like it's no one. Man, I thought those shit, I thought those kinds of things were stories, but my mate, my mate, Pat, he lost his iPhone at central station and he said something to someone. They said, Oh, you should go to like lost and found and it'll probably be handed in. And he was like, Oh no, you know, and because in Australia, man, they would have been gone, you know, a oh, bunch of thieves. <laughs> and he yeah, said he went there and fucking sure enough, they, someone handed in his phone. We couldn't believe it. It's, it. It is genuinely like that. Like, I mean, I've lived where I live now. Like, I've not locked my door once. Yeah. And it's the same. So, the, like, sort of the guy, like the, my boss, to be fair, to an extent, and he's, like, lived here for 20 years and literally he doesn't know where his house key is. Yeah, well, look, that is this kind of the same because I live in the hills, like behind Perth, and I don't lock my house either. But um, yeah, what I, the difference is the cities. Like you can't do that in the city, but you can over there. You can. It is. It's so safe. There's no pickpocketing. There's nothing. Absolutely it's crazy. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. And what do you think it is? Is it just like they're raised right or pure CCTV? Like, yeah. you're not getting away with it. Oh, you're not getting away. Surveillance. Yeah, because I always wondered, like, with Australians, right, I always had this theory, like, like, why do we, you know, why do people hear steal stuff? And it's like, well, think where we come from. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> we come from con- we come from convicts, man. Because, like, a couple of my friends have travelled there, and even in Germany I had a mate, he was like, oh, man, you go to the pub, right, and they, like, run a tab. And you can park your bike out the front, like no bike lock, nothing, and you pay for your meal at the end. Like you can't do that in Australia, man, because too many people would just do a runner, you know. And we were talking about it. I was like, what do you reckon? I was like, well, we, we come from thieves, man. I mean, not everyone's a thief, but 
Do you know what I mean? A lot of them are. <laughs> There's a, there's a, there is a definitely a historic link there that can be, uh, that can be referenced, can't it? But you know, so. I've I've travelled to quite a few countries, and I've and I, I don't don't mean that in a braggy or big-headed way or any way like that. But I've I've, I've been I've gone the world, and Japan is by far the safest, most relaxed country I have ever been to in terms of walking around. Like you could go here as a ten-year-old, and you'd have yeah. no. Like you would literally just be looked after. The people are so warm. They're so welcoming and so polite. And I think, and that's the other thing. Like, if you're polite in this country, it will open so many doors. If you're just saying, Arigato gozaimas, Arigato gozaimas, kudasai, kudasai. Like, it's just like, please, thank you, please, thank you, right? Like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. People just will do, they'll go that extra mile for you. And it's interesting, isn't it? I find that fascinating. It's just, it really culture. is. It is. It's 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 amazing. And you know, when we were talking earlier about my old man, and and I was walking down the up in one o'clock next to a river in in the middle of Tokyo at one a.m. You know, like I hadn't even considered the concept of of crime and being mugged or or anything yeah. like that. And I just walked home. It was like an hour walk, and I went through some pretty rough areas of Tokyo. And like, I hadn't even crossed my mind that actually, you know, mm. I could get up in serious trouble here. And you, you don't need to it is just the safest place to to come and travel and i think that does generate from the culture of people you know we don't break the rules we stick to the rules these are the rules and we do it but also it, it does i think there is an element of cctv there is cctv everywhere so you're not getting away with it so yeah, it's like okay. that, it's That's that little counterbalance and the two of them together mean it just creates this not safe place and and you came on to you talked about it being clean and it, it is it's not even a fag put on the floor yeah, they absolutely pristine. Singapore's also, like that too. It, yeah, exactly. It's sort of Singapore. I feel, I feel like it's a little bit different because it's almost like military rule, isn't it? Like so, yeah. Like, banned, for example, and you can end up with a seven-year prison sentence. <laughs> like, yeah, a little right. Whereas Tokyo, I think it is just it is just people are a very clean people, and that was highlighted at the World Cup when they used they cleaned up the stadiums after. Yes, the World it's. it's there's just an innate difference in their sort of mindset and culture. But you know what? That also has its negatives as well. Um, you know, sometimes like you're trying to do something or trying to get something done and it's almost like black and white. Like, no, we can't do that. And it's like, why can't yeah, okay. you? I was going to ask you that. Yeah, what's the what's the downside of living in Japan? It, it probably is. It, it is that, that, that sort of sometimes that black and white sort of mentality and... The well, other thing I hear is that um, kind of like if you're a foreigner, you'll always be a foreigner. Yes. Yeah, that is that is big. And, I mean, I don't speak like loads of Japanese, so I'm sort of in the process of learning it. But when you hear sort of white people, and I say white people, white people, black people, like non-Asians, right, like non-Japanese. Yeah. I don't know how you'd even describe that. You can't even really say Westerners, just non-Japanese is the best way to say it. Yeah. Um, like if you they could speak fluent japanese and they would still try it and assume you don't understand or assume you can't speak the language but you could be speaking it completely perfectly mm. and like because they they very much associate by skin tone still and or, and how you yeah. look but it's not as bad as korea in that end where in seoul for example where i've recently been is is quite quite intense from that regard whereas japan is a lot more they'll be sort of polite to you but not yeah. actually yeah, um, and what's the cost of living like over there? 
It's a lot lower than ours, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, oh, man, everywhere is. <laughs> yeah, and but lower than the UK as well. I think there's this, this sort of perception maybe that in Japan it's it's expensive. I was told that before I came. It's like it's so expensive. Like, you know, it's, it's expensive to get around. It's expensive to do this. It's expensive to do that. And it really yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah, you can go out for a bowl of ramen and a beer and it'll probably cost you maybe five quid. Yeah. Which and is well so, Korea's expensive, isn't it, I hear? That was a bit of 50-50. That was an, an interesting one. I don't think I really... I was in Seoul, so it was quite hard to really just to verify it in a, in a sense. Do you know what I mean? Because you yeah. know, the cap- it's always going to be quite expensive. But it wasn't too bad, really. And I think... But Japan is it's very manageable. And your day-to-day cost is pretty good. Like, there's no real inflation. So from chatting to people who've lived here a long time, this is the first time where they've seen a little bit of inflation. Wow. It's not, it's very flat, and I think that's... I wonder how they manage that. Because I think they don't they don't import a lot. Ah, uh, yes. They make a lot of it. We used to do that. Mm, yeah. But just food and stuff, right? Like, they, they try and... Like, a lot of the food that you eat here is... Is Japanese, like, and, you, and it's made in Japan, or it's been grown in Japan. It's like whatever it might be, but then the stuff that is imported in is is more expensive, like, and you will notice if you see yeah, that. Yeah, okay. But you yeah. get that, but the vast, but you can't get it a lot of the time, especially in like where I am at the moment. It's pretty much Japanese, really. But if you want a box of Tim Tams or something like that, then it's pretty spending. But yeah, okay, yeah. Well, uh, you know, the other thing is when in Rome, and it's healthy food too, man. It's been proved that diet. And the Mediterranean diet's one of the two of the best diets in the world. Totally. It totally like you I mean what the average age in Japan is like seventy eight to eighty, I think. It's, it's oh, absolutely... I think it's actually higher than that, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. It might be eight. I think you was... I'm gonna Google that real quick because um I was just um It's mental. It's absolutely mental and it's but you know what's quite ironic about that though, they like from being here in Japan, like Japanese culture is to drink quite a bit and to smoke a lot. So like, but yeah, they all live for ages. So, you know, it does make you wonder, it does make you wonder about what the hell, like. 84.6. You know what, when I said sort of mid 70s, <laughs> I didn't think it was a bit low, but also I didn't want to overstate. And that's funny, but it goes to show you like even what you're saying there about the smoking and drinking, man, all things in moderation. Totally, totally. I mean, it's all, there's a lot of all you can drink. Um, places Whereas I think <laughs> Aussies tend, and probably you know palms as well, tend to be in excess. <laughs> oh, without a shadow of a doubt, we flipping go hard or go home, right? Like that's yeah. that how we operate, and it's and it's probably why the Aussies and the uh, and the Brits get on so well because we just like to have drink, right? And it's the same with the Germans; like they flipping go hard or go home as well. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. But saying that, you know, I think the beer is a lot lighter here, but they but like Japanese culture is to drink. It like to get drunk and have fun. Like it's not this concept of um, being sustainable and all that type of stuff. Like you go yeah. into Tokyo and you'll see people like just fast asleep on park benches at like two. In the- <laughs> oh yeah, that's every day in yeah in Australia. <laughs> oh, no, but that is in that's every day in Japan. Like it's nuts. It is yeah. nuts. Uh, it's I think some perceptions that you might have will get blown away, but you'll also realize that some sort of stereotypes are so true and that's what yeah. makes it and it's so different and i appreciate i've not been here that long so there'll be a lot of other people probably listening to this podcast or in general who would disagree with some of the stuff i say but like i think as a nation as a country it's it's got a little bit of everything and that yeah. is and that's where i'm at and if you want a sort of a different way of life a completely 
open, transparent way of life, then this is the place to be. Without a shadow well, of a man, I think you summed it up perfectly there. And I, um, yeah, I kind of feel like you're, you've, and look, you know, maybe it's not forever or whatever, but yeah, I love what you're doing. And I love the fact that you, you know, you just grab, you kind of grab life by the balls, you know, and just think you've realized, you know, in, through what your dad taught you that life's too short to like, you know, waste days kind of thing. And yeah, so, um, so we'll probably sort of wrap it up there, man. So yeah, I just wanted to say, um, I wish you all the best in the uh, future and I'll be definitely, uh, following along as always following your adventures and yeah i'm definitely going to be uh hopefully in the next year or so i'll be uh coming up there for for a bit of a look and now that and like i was considering going there for a holiday right without the fishing and then when i saw your videos i realized oh holy shit man i gotta take the rod like this this place would be just like way too good (laughs) you've got to mate and honestly when you um if you if I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to be here, and I'll, and I'll sure I'll, I'll definitely be there, and we'll definitely go and throw a line. And without yeah, that, for I'll sure, man. If I'm coming, there. I'll be uh, dropping you a message for sure. <laughs> well, fantastic, and, and and vice versa. I'll I'll definitely come down to the Perth neck of the woods, and uh, and we'll see. We'll go go catch some black. Yeah, fish. same, man. And if you ever want to come down here, or like yeah, go to Exmouth or anywhere in Australia, pretty much, man. I got I, I know people who will be more than happy to take you out, and they're all you know. They're all the same kind of people as me. They all fell out of the same tree, hit a few different branches on the way down. But yeah, they're all their hearts in the right place, and they're passionate about fishing. and And it's like we there's something to when you share your fishing, as you know, when you share it with someone else, there's something about that. It's like a it's like a whole another adrenaline rush when you get to share that experience with someone else. You know, totally. It's it it is, and it, it's almost like the best. It's a great sport on your own, but it's even better with other people. And, for sure. you know, it's, yeah, I think us fishermen are a little bit nuts as it is. We're all crazy. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, there's definitely a screw loose, but that's but that screw loose is for the best, I think. So, uh, no, big thank you. Well, man, it's been a really enjoyable chat, man. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. When I first started following you, I was like, there's a guy I want to talk to. <laughs> Oh, amazing. I know. Thank you so much for reaching out because I've well enjoyed this. It's been a great chat. And and yeah, I hope anyone listening is, is sort of checks out the channel. Bang yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, if you want to tell everybody where they can hit you up, I'll put the put the links in the description. But awesome. yeah, if you want to let everyone know. Yeah, flipping. If, you, you know, if you're looking for some ridiculous fishing content of someone sort of just nobbing about, having a good time, then Bang Average Fishing's for you. But, you know, if you've thought about coming to Japan and you want to come fishing here or you want to come see the, see the country, please reach out Japanese Fishing Adventures across pretty much every social media platform. Um, and, yeah, we can try and get you a trip, fishing trip booked or just a general trip sorted. Just let us know. And, and yeah, we're, we're, I'm here to help. And, and I hope that, you know, anyone listening to this podcast has taken a little bit from it and, and is, uh, hope it might have cheered up their day as they're commuting into work. Who knows? So, uh, yeah, well, no. I'm sure I'm sure you'll get a couple of calls from a few Aussies. Happy days. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. Thanks Thank again. You so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Harry. Cheers. Cheers. Intense chemistry, they expect the list when we sell the list. Western supremacy, intense chemistry, best be aware.
Intense chemistry. Best, best be aware, new blood starting to drip.